American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, help others find it by sharing this episode and giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about St. Francis Xavier Church, the Daughters of Charity, and the impact of Catholics at the Battle of Gettysburg. This is one of those episodes that's more of a broad sweep with lots of sub-stories woven in. We'll talk about a number of these stories in their own episodes, but the Battle of Gettysburg is such an epochal moment in American history that using it as a hook is a great way to show how integral the Catholic story has been to our nation's history. Right. You have the Catholic families who had been there for nearly a century. You have the Catholics who actually fought in the battle as part of one or the other army. And you have the Daughters of Charity who traveled the 12 miles north from Emmitsburg, Maryland, to tend to the wounded and dying after the battle. And this is an episode with some personal experience behind it. I spent a lot of time in and around Gettysburg during my three years in seminary at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg. The main parts of the battlefields are so well preserved and protected as hallowed ground. There is a solemnity about that place. The weight of history hangs over the landscape. When Abraham Lincoln went to Gettysburg to dedicate a cemetery for the Union fallen, he said, We cannot dedicate. We cannot consecrate. We cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. He was so right, and the consecration, as he termed it, was augmented by the ministry of care given by local Catholics and the Daughters of Charity. I had my own harrowing experience driving alone through the battlefields just after midnight many years ago. I was leaving my friends Solange and Larry's wedding reception and heading back towards northern Virginia. And the road that my GPS told me to take went right through the heart of the battlefield. Probably Steinware Avenue. And it felt like forever. There was a thick mist that made it impossible to see very far. And it just felt like at any moment I was going to start seeing ghosts of soldiers and cavalry crossing the road towards one another in a doomed charge. It was probably the most nerve-wracking drive of my entire life. Yeah, I've, I've actually made that drive after dark. I know what you mean. Gettysburg is a special place. So the first Catholics to arrive in the region would have come in the late 18th century, probably before the Revolutionary War. Right. They would have been fleeing the repression of Maryland for the religious toleration of the Pennsylvania colony. We talked about Pennsylvania's history of religious toleration more in depth in episode 87 about Father Ferdinand Farmer. Right. William Penn, the Charter of Privileges, etc. So Pennsylvania allowed Catholicism while Maryland no longer did. And as I mentioned, the Maryland state line is only about nine miles from Gettysburg. So while Gettysburg itself was founded in 1786, the Catholics would have been gathering in the area for decades prior to that. And the first Catholic parish in the region was at Conowago, which is about 12 miles from present-day Gettysburg. The Basilica of the Sacred Heart at Conowago is one of the oldest parishes in the country, and we'll certainly do an episode on it. It was administered by Jesuits from early on, and at one point, it was the largest parish in the country. Some of the Jesuits and residents at Conowago would go toward the coalescing community of Gettysburg, to offer Mass and the other sacraments in people's homes. But as Gettysburg grew as a population center, the need for a parish in town also grew. In 1827, a Catholic in Gettysburg named Jacob Norbeck donated land for a parish church, and after the money was raised, the new church was built. It was completed in 1830. 
but they were still part of the parish at Conawago. They were, but it seems like one way to convince the diocese to let you have your own parish is to build a beautiful church and more or less present it to the diocese as a fait accompli. Well, it worked because the parish was established and the church was dedicated in honor of St. Francis Xavier, the great Jesuit saint, on October 2nd, 1831. All went well for the parish for about the first 20 years, but as the local economy boomed and the town grew even more, they quickly outgrew their 30-foot by 40-foot parish church. So in 1850, the new pastor of the parish formed a building committee. They secured a larger lot and began raising money. Once sufficient funds were raised to begin construction, the new Bishop of Philadelphia came out to lay the cornerstone. And that was the fourth Bishop of Philadelphia, John Neumann. Bishop John Neumann, of course, is now known as St. John Neumann, and he was the first male American to be canonized. Of course, we'll do an episode on him in the future. Bishop Neumann came out to lay the cornerstone on June 20th, 1852. And then just over a year later, on July 31st, 1853, he was back to dedicate the new church, which had more than three times as many pews as the previous church, and it had room for more. That church is the church that is still standing today. So if you go to Gettysburg and visit St. Francis Xavier on High Street, just a few blocks south of the center of town, you'll be visiting a church dedicated and consecrated by a saint in heaven. The whole church is basically a second-class relic. (laughs) It's a real human connection to one who stands forever before the throne of God. We have that in Steubenville, too, with our parish, St. Peter. Before he was Bishop of Philadelphia, John Neumann was a circuit priest in the greater Pittsburgh area, and his circuit brought him here to St. Peter. His name is in our baptismal records. Our current building, built at the start of the 20th century, isn't the same building that he would have visited. But yes, he was here too. But back to the church, which he consecrated in 1853. It enjoyed a good and grace-filled first 10 years of its useful life. But in its 10th year, everything changed for St. Francis Xavier Parish and the borough of Gettysburg. Yes. That's when the Civil War, which had already raged for two years in battle after bloody battle, arrived in Gettysburg. Confederate General Robert E. Lee needed a decisive victory on Union territory. After a major victory at Chancellorsville, Virginia in April of 1863, he headed north. A few small engagements happened here and there between smaller units of the two armies, but the main forces didn't converge until they reached Gettysburg at the beginning of July 1863. Prior to reaching Gettysburg, the Union Army encamped about 10 miles south. Eight to 10,000 were on the grounds of St. Joseph College, which was founded by St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and run by her order, the Daughters of Charity. The Daughters welcomed these guests with trepidation, but with all hospitality. They provided a massive amount of food, they found rosaries and blessed medals for the Catholic soldiers, and they let Colonel Philippe Regis de Trobriand use their observatory to survey the surrounding land for potential battlefields. Colonel de Trobriand confessed to the sisters during the four-day stay that he hoped the Confederate army didn't come upon them while they were encamped there in St. Joseph's Valley because he feared for what would become of their beautiful campus in the fight. Fortunately for all involved, the engagement happened north when a unit of Lee's Army of Northern Virginia was heading towards Gettysburg looking for supplies, and they came upon a smaller Union cavalry unit just northwest of town. This was on July 1st. The Union force was overwhelmed and retreated through the center of town to rejoin the rest of the Union force, which was south of town. The battle was engaged. It lasted for three days, July 1st to 3rd. 
Between the two armies, about 180,000 troops fought in the farmlands, fields, forests, and hills around Gettysburg. Among those fighting were many thousands of Catholics. A large chunk of them were in the Union's Irish Brigade, which was made up of regiments mostly of Irish immigrants and the children of Irish immigrants. The Irish Brigade and its epic story will likely get its own episodes, so we'll not dwell on them so much except to say that they suffered heavy losses because, as usual, they were put where the Union commanders expected the heaviest fighting to be, and it was. One story for the ages involves the Irish Brigade and their chaplain, Father William Corby. Father Corby was a Holy Cross priest and was a well-respected chaplain. On the second day of fighting as the Irish Brigade was hurrying toward battle, Father Corby climbed on top of a boulder and gave general absolution to the men of the Irish Brigade, telling them that they were to make an act of contrition and must resolve to get to confession as soon as they could, should they live long enough to do so. Afterward, Father Corby wrote that he had intended that act of general absolution for all, North and South, who were susceptible to it, not just for the Irish Brigade. Non-Catholic onlookers, including some like General Winfield Scott Hancock, were deeply impressed by the sense of calm and piety that came over the men due to this short ceremony, even while the battle was approaching and cannon and rifle fire were not too far distant. When the battle was over, 51,000 out of the 180,000 men involved were killed or severely wounded. It was the most costly battle of the entire Civil War. It also marked the beginning of the end for the Southern cause. It was a turning point indeed. In fact, there's a particular monument right in the center of the battlefield near a copse of trees, which is called the High Water Mark of the Confederacy. It marks the point where a Confederate unit, part of the doomed Pickett's charge, did actually break through the Union line before being beaten back on the third day of fighting. When that charge was repulsed, it was all over for the South. The war would rage on for nearly two more years, but the Confederacy really never had the momentum again. But none of that mattered to the wreckage that was left in and around Gettysburg. Thousands of bodies of dead and dying men were scattered across the landscape. As soon as the cannon went silent, 16 Daughters of Charity, with their chaplain, the Vincentian priest, Father Francis Berlando, rode north to offer what assistance they could. The Daughters of Charity in Emmitsburg was a sister order to the Daughters of Charity in Europe. That order was founded by St. Vincent de Paul and St. Louis de Marillac to help the poor and to be nurses to those who needed it. So while they ran a school at St. Joseph, by their founding, they were also a nursing order. Another thing they had in common with their French sisters was their distinctive headdresses. Rather than a conventional veil, the daughters wore the winged bonnet worn by French peasant women. It's a striking image. But here again is another story that we will expand on in a future episode. The daughters wore eye-catching bonnets and were exceptional nurses during the Civil War. For their efforts, they became known as the Angels of the Battlefield. One sister in that first wave wrote of their arrival on the battlefield south of town, To see the men lying dead on the road, some by the side of their horses, oh, it was beyond description. Hundreds of both armies lying dead almost on the track so that the driver had to be careful not to pass over the bodies. Oh, this picture of human beings slaughtered down by their fellow men in a cruel civil war was perfectly awful. When they arrived, the proprietor of McClellan's Hotel in the center of town gave his parlors as a headquarters for the sisters. Father Berlando returned to Emmitsburg to bring back more sisters and supplies. He made many such trips. Once in Gettysburg, the Daughters of Charity set about visiting the battlefields and the many houses, barns, and churches that had been turned into makeshift field hospitals. One of those churches was St. Francis Xavier on High Street. 
From early on in the battle, on July 1st, the parish had opened its doors to help care for the wounded. As the battle wore on, and in its immediate aftermath, many of the most seriously wounded were brought to St. Francis, where amputation stations had been set up. Arms and legs that were too badly damaged were sawn off and thrown in a pile in the churchyard. Inside the church, every other pew was removed to make more room to move about and place more men. They were laid on the pews and under them, in the aisles, and even in the sanctuary. They were laid so close together that it was difficult to move between them. The daughters arrived and did what they could. They cleaned wounds, which sometimes meant removing maggots since the wounds had festered untended for so long. They changed dressings and brought food and water to those who couldn't get it for themselves. They bathed the men and combed lice out of their hair. And of course, they did what they could to minister to the souls of the men. One sister wrote of the experience. They lay on the pew seats under the pews in every aisle, and there was scarcely room to pass among them in the sanctuary and in the gallery. The station pictures hung around the walls, and a very large oil painting of St. Francis Xavier holding in his hand a crucifix to show the benighted pagans the sign of their redemption. This was a book read by our poor men, for we had in that church but one Catholic, and our glorious saint was for the time resuming his apostolical mission among them. The first man put in the sanctuary was soon baptized, and with truly Christian sentiments. His pain was excruciating, and when sympathy was offered to him, he said, Oh, what are these pains I suffer in comparison with those my Redeemer suffered for me? In these sentiments, he died. Many soldiers who were anti-Catholic actually opposed receiving care from these Catholic women at first, but most of them relaxed, overcome by the sisters' gentleness and dedication to duty. There was even a group of 60 Southern prisoners of war who requested baptism because they were so impressed by the sisters. In one story, two daughters of charity, who were also biological sisters, were out on the battlefield looking for survivors who needed assistance. One came upon a man who was wounded badly enough that he couldn't move. She bathed the blood and grime off his face, only to discover that he was her own brother. The two sisters nursed their brother back to health, and he survived the war. The sisters remained constantly active as nurses until the last soldier was transferred to a formal military hospital out of town. One 16-year-old girl who lived in Gettysburg wrote of the Daughters of Charity, the Sisters of Charity from Emmitsburg made their appearance very soon after the battle. I recall many instances of their kindness and usefulness as I watched them sit by the hospital cots, moistening the parched lip, fanning the heated brow, writing a letter to the loyal home folks, or reading and praying with the wounded and dying. No wonder the men learned to admire and love them. And St. Francis Xavier remained in use as a hospital until the end of September, nearly three months after the battle. But even once the final patient was removed, the church could not simply resume its normal usage. The floor had been covered with blood, water, grime, filth, and all manner of gore. The pews that hadn't been removed were in similar condition, and the ones that had been removed hadn't exactly been placed gently in storage. The church had been so badly damaged and defaced that it wasn't until January of 1864 that the parish could resume usage of its building. While waiting for their parish church to become available again, the Catholics of Gettysburg and their military guests were able to attend Mass in the home of a parishioner, Nicholas Cordori. Ironically, Cordori's family had fled Europe to get away from the seemingly endless wars raging on that continent, so he came to quiet Gettysburg, only to find it the site of the bloodiest battle in the history of the continent 
And what's more, some of the heaviest fighting took place, including Pickett's charge, on his farmland south of town. Well, the fighting had to happen somewhere. Yeah, well, I'm sure he would have preferred that it happened somewhere else. Yeah, well, say la vie. Things returned to normal, or rather a new normal, as the town rebuilt and farmers, like Cordori, assessed what they could do with their war-torn property. St. Francis Xavier opened a school, and after a fire which heavily damaged the sanctuary end of the church in 1894, the church was extended 37 feet, and more than 100 pews were added. After the turn of the 20th century, St. Francis Xavier and three other churches went to court against the United States government. All four had been used as hospitals and had suffered extensive damage, so they sought compensation. The government settled, and the parish got $400. Which isn't much money, considering, but if you take $400 in 1863 and compare it to today's money, that should be about $8,400. So, still not much. No. In the 1920s, the new pastor of the parish was Father Mark Stock. Father Stock was a native son of Gettysburg and had grown up at St. Francis Xavier. In 1923, he made a presentation to the Convention of the Knights of Columbus, appealing to them to finance the erection of a memorial at Gettysburg dedicated to all of the Catholic men who had given their lives in that terrible battle, as well as to the Daughters of Charity who had given so much in nursing the wounded and dying. His speech went over well, and in 1925, the memorial was erected, consisting of a large and impressive new facade on St. Francis Xavier Church. It includes a portico with a monumental colonnade holding up a triangular pediment. On the frieze across the front is inscribed, For God and Country. Also included are two bronze tablets, one depicting a daughter of charity tending to a wounded soldier, and the other depicting Father Corby administering the general absolution on the battlefield. Inside the church, a stained glass window with the beatitude, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, shows two daughters of charity with their distinctive winged bonnets, tending to a wounded soldier. And that facade with its tablets is still there today, along with two stained glass windows. Another marker to the impact of Catholics is a statue of Father Corby, erected on the very boulder from which he gave the general absolution. The Daughters of Charity of Emmitsburg returned to their college in peaceful St. Joseph's Valley, which remained a standout school for girls for many decades, ultimately closing its doors in 1973. The Daughters of Charity overall continued their ministry to the wounded of the Civil War, including at hospitals like the amazing Satterley Hospital near Philadelphia. But as we've said, those are stories for another day. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help others find it by sharing this episode and giving us a five-star rating and a good review. We also ask you to support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com slash give. And maybe join the StarQuest fan club mailing list by texting StarQuest to 66866. Again, send StarQuest to 66866. To learn more about Catholics at Gettysburg, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to important and unforgettable Catholic holy sites, please visit AmericanCatholicHistory.org. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.